Hey, good morning. Welcome to Westbridge Church. My name's Jeremiah. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's awesome to have you with us. I want to say hello to everybody joining us online. Thanks for participating through that venue. And if you're in a parent viewing room, that's a great option if you have small children you prefer to keep with you during the service. Hi to everybody joining us in our cafe. And uh, a couple of quick things uh, housekeeping-wise before we jump in. First of all, it is December 3rd, and I can still see my yard. And after last year, we deserve this. All right, I'm telling you, we earned this, right? Come on. And uh, last year was brutal, man, so we just deserve this. A uh, couple of quick things. One, one question that comes up is, why do we have to reserve a seat for Christmas Eve? We've never done that in the past. And, and the reason is this. We're not sure because of how Christmas Eve falls. Christmas Eve falls on a Sunday. And so typically we've done like, you know, five services all in one day. And so if people kind of come, you know, throughout all the services... The attendance pattern is kind of all over the place because of uh, three on Saturday evening, three on Sunday morning. We're just not sure what that's going to look like. And what we don't want to have happen, last year we had 2,000 people come to Christmas Eve. Uh, that's not a, I'm not like exaggerating, 2,000 people showed up. And so we don't want 2,000 people to show up at the 930 service and then go, oh, well, like all the other ones are empty, but you, everybody came to one. So that would be super helpful. It's free. You just go onto the website, just reserve your spot. That just lets us know how many people are here. And we're doing full childcare through fifth grade. So we want to make sure that we have enough volunteers for all of the services to make sure. And here's the other thing. Man, Christmas is just one of those seasons where uh, there's friends that you'll invite that'll show up that might not say yes to an invitation to church other times of the year, but for some reason around the holidays, they'll say yes. And so I want to encourage you, would you invite somebody? Invite somebody to come and sit with you. Invite somebody to participate with you. Invite somebody uh, to meet you here. That would just be awesome. And uh, there, there is a message, a very, very simple message of God's love that we want to share with every single person in our community and in our area. And they might just be waiting on an invitation from you. Uh, to show up and to walk through the doors of a place like this. And so we want to make sure that we're ready for them, uh, that we've got plenty of seats available. So that just helps us so much with that. And then uh, the other thing is, um, uh, would you consider serving? Even if you're not a part of a regular serving team, there's a spot on our Christmas page. So if you go to westbridgechurch.com forward slash Christmas, there's a spot that just says one time serve. And that just says, hey, I'm not necessarily signing up for a team full-time, like jumping in every week, but uh, I'll pick one service and I'll join a serving team for Christmas Eve so that we can make sure that we pull off everything that we need to for all the people we're inviting. So if you would consider doing that, that would be so helpful for us because then when you invite your friends and other people invite their friends, we have plenty of volunteers to make sure that we can uh, fully function and operate everything. Last thing I'll say, and then we'll jump in. On December 14th, we're doing something called an empty chair service. This is really important because uh, the holidays are a time when for many people who have lost a loved one in the last year or the last couple of years, and the holidays are a season that, while for many it's filled with joy and it's filled with all kinds of Christmas tradition and holidays, for many people it's also a reminder that there is an empty chair around the table where that loved one used to sit. And so for us, we want to honor that and remember that. And we want you to know that you can show up to, uh, to this room. We're doing it right here in this room, Thursday, uh, 7 o'clock on December 14th. And sometimes you just need to know that you're not the only one. Sometimes you just need to know that there are other people who have gone through what you've been through, who are walking through a season of grief, who are walking through a season of uh, perhaps loneliness, and realize that you're not alone. And so that's why we do this service. Uh, we're going to do some Christmas songs together. We're going to invite you to light a candle to remember uh, your, your loved ones and, uh, and then share a message of hope and comfort and uh, do that together. So if there's someone that you know that's navigating that season, uh, why not consider inviting them to that 
or joining us for that, and we'd love to, to walk through that with you. So uh, that's a bunch of things that we got coming up, just some housekeeping stuff. Uh, now we're going to jump into the message this morning. And just like every year, uh, it's amazing that um, uh, some people are early planners and some people are not so early planners when it comes to Christmas shopping. Uh, so I got to know, who are my early planners? How many of you fully done with Christmas shopping? Unbelievable. All right. I, I speak with authority on behalf of the rest of us. We hate you. That's ridiculous. Okay. Uh, how many of you, uh, where, where are my people at? You're hitting up a, a, you know, a drugstore Christmas Eve. All right. Yeah. All right. These are my people. Okay. Regardless of where you find yourself in the Christmas shopping, you know, sort of uh, spectrum, every year we try to do our part and provide a holiday gift guide for you. And uh, we want to do that this year as well. And uh, these are things that you can buy online and get them shipped to your house um, in time for the holidays. Uh, the first one is this. It's incredible, really. It's, it's a zoom lens uh, that you can put on. I think you can attach it to your phone. I love the caption. The descriptions are what make these amazing. It says, get a serious upper body workout while capturing stunning photos with the help of this ultra telephoto zoom lens. So man, when you really want to see something far away, I mean, that's just spectacular. Uh, here's another one. Maybe you have an avid outdoorsman that you're shopping for. These are uh, tactical cargo socks. So you've heard of cargo pants, cargo shorts, now cargo socks, right? You can carry even more cargo uh, because, and who hasn't wanted this? I mean, how many times have you been like, man, if only I had more pockets, if only my socks had pockets, we've all thought it, right? Yeah, uh, obviously. Uh, uh, this is my favorite, a, a million piece jigsaw puzzle, and it's just sand. <laughs> I love it. And here's my favorite part of this whole thing. It says jigsaw ninja tip. Start with the corner pieces. So like, you're like, oh, I don't know. This is some, just start with the corner. You'll be fine, right? Uh, how about this? This is full face sunglasses. And again, the description is what makes it amazing. If you want superior protection from the sun and to look a little bit more like Cobra Commander at the same time, yeah. And if you, if you don't know who Cobra Commander is, it's G.I. Joe. It's, it's you know... Near and, near, near and dear to my heart. And then finally, uh, this one's amazing. It's the beautiful poetry of Donald Trump. And what I appreciate is the pensive look on his face and the ascot, which just classes it up, right? I mean, can we just agree on that? And uh, honestly, I got to tell you, this one needs no explanation. And I also have to say there is zero, I'm not inferring anything politically, okay? This is just a great gift, I feel like. And... If you think I'm trying to say something politically, then just send me an email, jeremiah at idontgiverip.com, and we can work it out, okay? <laughs> That'd be great. So, I hope that helps you. I hope that helps uh, during this holiday season, because I want to make sure that we're providing, uh, you know, doing our part to provide service for you. Now, today we're, we're, we're starting a series over the next few weeks as we lead up to Christmas called Reasons for the Season. And we've all heard this phrase. You've probably seen this phrase on a bumper sticker or a cling on the back of a car or something like that. This phrase, Jesus is the reason for the season. Right? We've all seen this, and I appreciate the sentiment behind this. The idea is that, you know, let's keep Christ in Christmas. Let's not, let's not remove, like, uh, the meaning behind it, and, and, and I appreciate that. Uh, and it's sort, sort of this comparison to what often happens during the holidays, the over-commercialization of, you know, this season, and, and saying, hey, let's remember what this is about. But if we're going to remember what this is about, this Christmas season, I think there might be a better phrase than Jesus is the reason for the season. 
Because at the end of the day, the reason Jesus had to come into the world is because of you and me. And if you and me didn't sin, if you and me weren't, you know, didn't make a mess of the world, uh, if human beings in general didn't make a mess of the world, then Jesus would not have needed to come. And so I think maybe a, a more appropriate phrase would be, you are the reason for the season. That's, a, that's more appropriate, right? And I think that's more fitting, like when somebody cuts you off in traffic and you're like, hey, buddy, you're the reason for the season. Think that fits? Maybe we need some new bumper stickers or some new clings on the back of the car. Maybe one that says, I am the reason for the season. Maybe one that says, my boss is the reason for the season. Or my mother-in-law is the reason for the season. She's why Jesus came. <laughs> the point is, Christmas is really for our benefit. That, that Jesus didn't need to come for Jesus' sake. Jesus came for your sake and for my sake. And so really, you and I are the reason for the season. And Christmas really benefits us in so many ways. And, and what we're going to sort of go over for the next few weeks is focus on three reasons Jesus came and how that, that first Christmas really benefited you and I. Because at the end of the day, we're the reasons for the season. And to be honest with you, one of the most challenging things about Christmas, and one of the most challenging things about the Christmas story is the Christmas story itself. Because it's so miraculous. It's so filled with supernatural. It's so unbelievable that a lot of people choose not to believe it. A lot of people are just like, ah, it feels kind of like a myth. The thought for some people is that they had to sort of come up with this myth of the birth of Jesus to kind of give street cred so that this legend would have a better start. And let me say this, I think, here's just, this is just my own opinion, so you can do with this what you want, but I think if someone can predict their own death and resurrection and pull it off, I'm less concerned with how they came into the world. We can sort of figure that out together. But you should know this, Christianity doesn't hinge on the birth of Jesus. The message of Jesus doesn't hinge on how he got into the world. What makes it really matter is the resurrection of Jesus. And yet, as unbelievable as his birth narrative seems to us today, when you get the backstory, when you get the whole story and the whole backstory of the story of Christmas, it really is an amazing story. And we have these, you know, nativity sets, and we've got Mary and Joseph, and many of us have heard the, the Christmas story or maybe even read it uh, in, in Luke's eyewitness account of the, the life and the birth of Jesus. But Christmas really doesn't begin with a couple who's trying to figure out how in the world they got pregnant. Christmas, the, the original part of the story begins with a couple who are worried that they'll never get pregnant. And it didn't begin with a couple who's trying to figure out where they're going to have a baby. It begins with a couple who is pretty confident they're never going to have a baby. It's the backstory of the Christmas story that makes the Christmas story so amazing. And it, it doesn't begin with angels, and it doesn't begin with uh, shepherds, and it doesn't begin with wise men, and it doesn't begin with a nativity set, and it doesn't begin with a big announcement. It actually goes back much further than that. See, the Christmas story begins with a promise. And it's a pretty wild promise. It's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty unbelievable and somewhat incoherent promise. It doesn't make a lot of sense in the cultural context that it was given. And, and when, when this promise was made, it would not have made any sense to the person that it was made to. And it's an impossible and unbelievable, incoherent promise, and yet this promise sets up the events around Christmas, and it's really what makes the Christmas story so believable. The promise was made about 2,000 years before Jesus was born, about 2090 BC. It's found in uh, what's called the book of Genesis, 
And if you're new to church, if you're exploring church, if it's been a long time since you've been to church, and you're, maybe you've got some hesitation, uh, maybe the Bible was weaponized at one point in your life and used against you, and you've got some hesitation with that, or maybe you even have some, some cynicism around how the scriptures were put together. For just a moment, I, I don't want you to think about this as the Bible. I, I set that aside momentarily in your mind. I want you to think about this document that the Jews titled Genesis, and, and they wrote it over 2,000 years ago. Uh, some say even older than that. This document called Genesis tells how the Jewish nation began. And so it's a very, very important document in Jewish history. They uh, meticulously uh, wrote it down and copied it and, and uh, handed it down generation after generation. And it became a part of the Jewish literature and eventually became part of what would be known as the Hebrew Scriptures. In our sort of modern-day vernacular, we call it the Old Testament. And eventually, the Jewish scriptures were added to these documents. The eyewitnesses of Jesus started to write their experiences. And then followers of Jesus in the first century started to write letters to churches and to individuals. And eventually, those letters and documents were gathered together and called what we call the New Testament. And somewhere along the way, the the New Testament, the writings of the New Testament, these eyewitness accounts and these letters uh, got bundled together with the Hebrew scriptures and became what you and I call the Bible. But here's what's important. The Bible didn't create Genesis. Genesis was there, and then it got put together with the Jewish scriptures, and then it got bundled together with the eyewitness accounts and these letters to followers of Jesus in the first century, and eventually became the Bible. And in this ancient document we know as Genesis, we find this unbelievable, incoherent, and and just amazing promise that God gives to a guy named Abram, who we eventually become uh, to know as Abraham. And in fact, uh, it's so wild, it's so out there, but this is how the first Christmas actually begins. And so we're going to read some of these verses together from this ancient document. And it goes like this. The Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. Now, this is uh, sort of unheard of. This, is, this doesn't happen because this is a time in human history where there's incredible warfare. Uh, there's a tribe against tribe and, and family against family and clan against clan. And you're doing everything you can to just take, 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 take for you and for yours. And you do whatever it takes to fight anybody else to get what you need. And so all of your safety, all of your security, all of your identity is found in your family, your clan, your tribe. And so here God says to Abraham, I, I want you to leave all of that. I want you to leave the safety of your family. I want you to leave the safety of your tribe, the safety of your clan. And I want you to go somewhere where nobody knows you, to a land that you don't even know about. This is what I want you to do. And then the promise continues, and he says this, I will make you a great nation. And Abraham is thinking, how's that going to work? How am I going to be a great nation? I'm going somewhere where nobody's going to know who I am. I'm not going to be a great nation. And he's also thinking this, At the point that God gives Abram this promise, Abram is 75 years old and he has no kids. And so Abram's going, great nation? Like, I'd settle for being a great grandfather. Like, how's this going to happen? A great nation? I'm 75 years old. I don't have any kids. God, I I mean, I don't know what you're thinking here. It's not going to work. And then God continues. He says, I'm going to, I will make, uh, I will bless you and make you famous. Famous. (laughs) Look, I'm not even famous in my own tribe, and they all know me. I'm I'm supposed to go somewhere where nobody knows my name. I'm supposed to go to a place that I've never even heard of. Leave my tribe, leave my family, leave my clan, and somehow you're going to make me famous? 
That's not gonna, that doesn't make any sense. And then God says, and you will be a blessing to others. Now, this is what's fascinating. People don't bless other people. In the cultural context that this promise was given, it doesn't even make any sense. This isn't a time where people are in the habit of blessing anybody other than their family. And yet God says, no, I'm going to make you a blessing. And then he says one more thing. God says this, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who treat you with contempt. God says, I'm going to be so for you. Abraham, I'm going to be a part of your story, and I'm going to be a part of the story of the people, uh, your children, and their, your children's children, and your descendants, and I'm going to be a part of their story until it's completed, and nothing is going to stop it. And finally, God says, all the families on earth are going to be blessed through you. Every family, all families on the entire planet Every single person, every single family somehow is going to trace a blessing back to you and your family. Every tribe, every clan, every gathering of families. They didn't really have nations the way that we think of nations today. But every group of people who speak the same language, every group of people, every nation, every family will be blessed through you and through your descendants. And Abraham's gone, really? I don't know how this is going to happen. Every single person on earth will ultimately and eventually be impacted by you, Abram. And everybody on the planet is somehow going to know your name. And everybody is going to be touched indirectly by what I'm going to do through you, God would say. And, and this is such a strange and unbelievable promise. Because again, in this culture, people don't bless other people. Nations don't bless other nations. Nations conquer other nations. Nations enslaved other nations. Nations plundered other nations but they didn't bless them. Clans don't bless other clans. Tribes don't bless other tribes. This is unheard of. It made absolutely no sense. And yet the author of Genesis tells us that Abraham believed God's promise. Abraham said, God, I don't know how this is going to happen and I probably won't even live to see it fulfilled, but I believe what you say. I trust in your promise. And eventually, Abraham and Sarah did have a son. 25 years later, at the age of 100, Abraham had a son, and his name was Isaac. And then Isaac had two sons. Isaac had two sons named Jacob and Esau. Esau was the older of the two, and Jacob was younger. And yet, when you read the history of the nation of Israel, you read about the, uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the younger brother. Well, why don't we read about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau? Because somewhere along the way, Jacob was a pretty sneaky and conniving person, and he figured out a way to, to trick his dad into giving him the blessing of the firstborn son instead of his brother. And you thought you had some, you know, dysfunction in your family, right? This is chaos. It makes you feel a lot better about your own family. It's unbelievable because Jacob stole the right from his older brother. At one point, uh, Abraham also lies about his own wife. They get to Egypt and Abraham is afraid that Pharaoh will take Sarah and marry her and kill him. He's afraid for his own life, and so he tells Pharaoh, yes, yeah, she's my sister. You're like, this is the guy who God chose to bless the whole world through. And there's so much dysfunction. There's so much chaos. Now, eventually, Jacob has 12 sons. And at one point, 10 of the older brothers are furious and jealous at one of their younger brothers, Joseph. And so they throw him in a well. And he's sitting at the bottom of the well, and the older brothers, the 10 older brothers are up at the top of the well, and they're sitting there wondering, should we sell him or should we kill him? Should we sell him or should we kill him? Right? And, and you're like, man, I thought we had some sibling stuff to work out, you know, around the holidays. 
And eventually they go, well, it's not profitable to kill him. Let's just sell him. And so they sell him to some traders. And Joseph finds himself in Egypt, where eventually he works his way up. He, he rises to power and prominence. All of his brothers and all of their families and all of their uh, kids and grandkids eventually settle in Egypt. And somehow, miraculously, God restores the relationship between Joseph and his brothers. And you know what happens? They do become a nation. God's promise is fulfilled. Several hundred years later, they become a nation. But they become a nation of slaves. And they find themselves in captivity, in slavery, in Egypt. And here's what's so amazing. They would have been told this promise. This is something that would have been meticulously written down and passed down from generation to generation. The promise God gives to Abraham. Through you, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And they're sitting here and, man, anyone who blesses you, I'll bless. Anyone who treats you with contempt, I'll curse. And here they are sitting in slavery and they know this promise. And they're going, well, he kept one part. We are a nation. But we're in slavery. You know, like, we're we're not in a position to bless anybody. How How can God possibly be trusted to keep his promise? And then God sends a deliverer named Moses. And uh, Moses comes onto the scene, and, and without going through the whole story, by the time Moses leaves Egypt, the, the, the nation of Israel becomes free. And when he leaves and the nation of Israel leaves, nobody in Egypt is feeling very blessed by the descendants of Abraham. They cross into the Red Sea, and, and they begin to settle in the land of Canaan, and none of the Canaanites and none of the tribes who live in the land of Canaan are feeling very blessed by the invading nation of Israel. And again, you read these parts of the Old Testament and there's so much violence and there's so much bloodshed and you wonder how in the world is any of this a part of the story? How is any of this a part of God's story? And the short answer is what offends us was just normal to them. They lived in an ancient Near East civilization where uh, tribal warfare and that was just very, very common. The way that you showed that your God was the, the God over every other God was that you defeat them and kill everybody. And so we're, we're on the other side. It's, it, we're offended by some of the violence and bloodshed because we're on the other side of Christmas. We've experienced the, the love and the grace and the, the sacrifice of Jesus. We see the world in a completely different way, but this was part of the journey. This was part of the story. And God worked within human history to move humanity forward to the point when Jesus could come into the world. And so about a thousand years go by after God had made his promise to Abraham and his family. And uh, they become a nation. And ultimately, this nation becomes a kingdom. And now they've got a kingdom and they've got walls and they've got a city and they've got an army and a military and politics. And, and we know it as the kingdom of Israel. And under King David, there was peace treaties that were made with all the other nations because David was a warrior king and he conquered the other nations. And he settled all the disputes. And suddenly, for the first time in the nation of Israel, the descendants of Abraham were actually in a position to be a blessing to the other nations. And then uh, Solomon was David's son. Solomon took over as the next king. And Solomon expanded the nation of Israel. And Solomon built, and he built incredible things. And uh, you can read about uh, in, the, in the Hebrew scriptures, I mean, all the things that Solomon did, it's amazing the things that he built. He built a temple to the Lord that's just incredible. He built his palace. Uh, he was at peace with all of the other kingdoms. Just unbelievable. Uh, Solomon expanded the reach of the nation of Israel to such a degree that people from all over the world would come to see the things that he had built, and they would come to sit at his feet and listen to his wisdom and his knowledge. 
And for the first time, it looked like, okay, we might be in a position to keep God's promise, that we might be able to be a blessing to the world around us. But instead of blessing the other nations, Solomon decided to marry the daughters of the royalty of the other nations and eventually began to worship the gods of the other nations. And God had told Solomon, if you'll stay faithful to me, if you will serve me, I will be your God, you will be my people, and I will protect you. But if you stray from me, if you turn away to your left and right and serve other gods, I'll lift my hand of protection from you. And sure enough, Solomon was drawn aside by all of the brides that he had married from all the different kingdoms. And he began to worship other gods. And God lifted his hand of protection. And after Solomon died, the nation is divided. The kingdom is split into two. And the opportunity to bless the nations around them was lost. In fact, they would never have an opportunity like that again. As a result of the nation splitting into two kingdoms, there's a divided economy, a divided military for the next 300 years. And it would just be chaos. The northern kingdom, known as the nation of Israel, the, the kingdom of Israel, would get invaded by the Assyrians. And, and, and they would be completely destroyed. You never hear of that kingdom ever again. And then uh, the Assyrians would attack the southern kingdom, what was called the kingdom of Judah. And they would reign there for about 300 years. And eventually they would be attacked, even though there's a small remnant of Jewish people living in Jerusalem, they would be attacked by the, the empire of Babylon. And Babylon would lay siege, destroy the walls, and carry off the best and the brightest into exile in Babylon, leaving just a small, small remnant of people in Jerusalem. And then the Babylonians would be conquered by the Persians, and then the Greeks. And it's just one empire after another, and the nation of Israel goes through this incredible season of chaos. And they're on, the, they're on the verge of extinction. They have no position. They have no authority on the world stage. And right in the midst of that, God sends a prophet named Isaiah to speak to the people. You can imagine this. What he says is preserved in what we now have as part of the, uh, what we call our, our Bible. It's the Hebrew scriptures, and it's the prophet Isaiah. And this is God speaking to the nation of Israel through the prophet Isaiah. Listen to what God says. In the midst of all this, I will make you a light to the Gentiles. I will make you a light to the Gentiles and you will bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And they're looking around going, a light to the Gentiles? Now, a Gentile is simply anybody who isn't Jewish. So in other words, God's saying, look, every other nation in the world, you're gonna, you're gonna be like a beacon. You're gonna be like a light and everybody's gonna turn their heads in your direction. And then you're gonna be their salvation. And they're going, light to the Gentiles? We can't even light up ourselves salvation to the rest of the world. We can't even save ourselves. God, what a joke. We're not going to be a light. Uh, we can't do this. God says, I'm going to do something and everyone's going to look in your direction. And we can't bring salvation to the ends of the earth. We can't even bring salvation to ourselves. And again, they're, they're, they're carried off. The economy is in shambles. There's no military. Uh, and, and you have just a very, very small group of people living in a ruins of Jerusalem. There aren't even walls. There isn't even a temple. They're just living amongst the ruins. And again, God sends another prophet. And his word seems impossible to the people who hear it. And again, God speaks through a prophet named Malachi. And this is God speaking to the nation of Israel. Here's what God says. My name will be great among the nations from where the sun rises to where it sets. From where the sun rises to where it sets, my name will be great, God says. In every place, incense and pure offering will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. And again, they're thinking, your name's gonna be great? Among the nations? Your name is mocked among the nations. 
when people look at the state of the nation of Israel, the kingdom of Judah, the kingdom of Israel, nobody looks at that and goes, wow, what a powerful God that is. He's going to bring salvation to the rest of the world. He is, he is a God that is going to be honored and great among the nations. You're a joke among the nations. Nobody's looking at us and thinking they want to worship our God. They think our God is pathetic because he can't take care of his own people. We can't feed ourselves. We can't protect ourselves. So listen, God, let's stop the hype and the empty promises. It's not going to happen. The name of Zeus is going to be great. The name of Alexander the Great will be famous. He's starting to unify the whole world and become one of the greatest kings that the world has ever known, but not the name of God. And God says, anywhere that people worship, anywhere that people worship, they will hear me and they will worship me. And the people of Judah couldn't hear it. And how could they, right? I mean, imagine that you have that promise in the midst of that circumstance. They'd already been overrun by Assyria. Then they'd been conquered by Babylon, carried into exile. Now they serve Persia. Now they serve the Greeks. And to add injury to insult, the Roman Empire becomes the next empire after the Greek Empire. And in 63 BC, Rome sends Pompey the Great into the region. And Pompey the Great conquers town after town, village after village, area after area, marches onto Jerusalem, lays siege to the city of Jerusalem, conquers Jerusalem, and then does something unthinkable to anybody who was Jewish, regardless of how you saw God or the temple. Pompey rode his horse right into the courts, the temple courts, and rode his horse into the temple and into the Holy of Holies, which is the, the very sacred inner part of the temple where God's presence dwelt. Now, every pagan temple had what they called a God vault. It would be the inner sanctum where, where your idol, you would keep the idol of your God to represent your God and where your God lived. For the nation of Israel, they didn't have an idol because God had said, make no other idols don't worship any idols, but just worship me. I'm your God. I'm with you. And so you go into this God vault called the Holy of Holies in the Hebrew temple, and Pompey rides in there, and he's thinking to himself, what a joke. This nation doesn't even have an idol to represent their God. And from a Roman perspective, what a pathetic religion. <laughs> a silly little religion that doesn't even have an idol of their God to defend them. And so began the occupation of the Holy Land by the Roman Empire. And so God was partially correct. The descendants of Abraham would become a nation, but it seemed to everybody involved that this unbelievable promise to Abraham would end there. All the nations of the earth would not be blessed through Abraham, and there is no way that they would become a light to the Gentiles. The Jewish God would <coughs> not be worshiped throughout the earth, because nobody is interested in a God that is too weak to defend his own people. And then the Apostle Paul writes, at just the right time, something happened. And I don't know where you find yourself this Christmas, and I don't know what's going on in your world, and I know all of us have just lots going on in, in, a, in a modern society that flies at the speed of light, and that we have so many things going on. I know a lot of us have so many plates that are spinning, and so many things going on, and so many worlds that we orbit. And I don't know what you're facing during this Christmas season, but, but I think the backstory to the Christmas story is what makes the Christmas story an amazing story. Because when you think about what's going on in our world today, I, I think there's some things that this story really reminds us of. First, I, I think we need to be reminded of this. God can be trusted to keep his promises. 
You, you look at the history of this story, and it's unbelievable that it took 2,000 years, and yet God kept his promise. God actually kept his promise. This is what makes the story of Christmas so amazing, is that when things were as hopeless as you thought they would get, when it was about as far as removed from the original promise as you thought it could be, when God's promise to Abraham was as out of reach as it could possibly be, when everyone had lost hope and nobody was even beginning to dream that God would fulfill his promise. Here's what happens. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. In the midst of what seemed like the darkest time in Israel's history, God keeps his promise. God kept his promise to Abraham that through Abraham and through his descendants, every single nation on the earth would be blessed. And as it turns out, all the nations of the earth have been blessed through Abraham. And the nation of Israel would in fact be a light to the Gentiles. From that part of the world, God sent his son Jesus. And through the the, the birth and the life and the teachings and the death and resurrection of Jesus, we have access to God. Every single one of us has access to God. And that part of the world has become a light to the rest of the world. Because every single year, tens of thousands of people go to that part of the world and visit that part of the world from where that light began to shine. In fact, most of us here today, not all of us, but a big, big majority of us here today, worshiping online, gathering in this room, are Gentiles. And you know who we worship? A Jewish savior. God kept his promise. And the God that followers of Jesus worship is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And the reason that the Jewish scriptures are precious to us and the reason that they eventually decided to combine them with what we call the New Testament and these, these uh, more modern documents and the history uh, of all of that, the reason it's all put together is because the history of the Jewish people was the cocoon that birthed the light of the world, the one who came into the world whose kingdom would never end. And it shows us, Christmas should be a reminder every single year that no matter what I'm facing and no matter what I'm going through, God can be trusted to keep his promises. That no matter what I'm facing, I can cling to the promises of God, that he is trustworthy. It's amazing. And it occurs to me, if God blessed the entire world through Jesus, and if we are followers of Jesus, then when people encounter us, the word they should use to experience their reaction to us should be blessed. I was, I was, I was blessed that I got to interact with those followers of Jesus. Their interaction with us should leave them feeling blessed. It shouldn't leave them feeling any other way than loved and blessed. And so this is a reminder for us. God can be trusted to keep his promise. It's also a reminder for us of this. God's silence does not mean he is absent. Sometimes it feels like, God, where are you? I'm holding to this promise and I'm trying to be faithful to live and to love the way that you want me to, but it feels like you're not moving in my life. 
But from that first promise to when it finally came to pass, this period of time stretches out over 2,000 years. And during that entire period, God was behind the scenes working and getting the world ready for what he ultimately wanted to do. The Christmas story began 2,000 years before the first Christmas, and the Christmas story continues 2,000 years after the first Christmas. It continues to move on. God would work out the story of Christmas on the world stage involving some of the most significant people in history. And every one of them is a footnote in the story of the birth of a Jewish carpenter from Nazareth who would change the world. Through him, the Jews became a light to the Gentiles. Through Jesus, the Jewish God would be worshipped all over the world. Through Jesus, salvation would, in fact, come to every nation and every tribe and every people. And we are reminded in the most incredible way imaginable that God is active even when it seems like he's not. And that even when God is silent, he is not still and he is not absent. He is working behind the scenes. And we are reminded on a personal level God is interested in the affairs of men and women. And God doesn't just think in terms of nations. God thinks in terms of individuals. And that God sent his son not just to be the savior of the world, but to be the savior of you in your world and to be the savior of me in my world. Christmas is a reminder. God keeps his promises. And even when circumstances argue to the contrary, God can be trusted. And finally, Christmas is the reminder that it's the story of reconciliation between us and God. That somewhere along the way, every single one of us, starting with the first human beings to every one of us today, kind of took it upon ourselves to live life our own way. And we've made decisions and we've done things and, and it's gone sideways for us. And we don't need even scriptures to tell us this. Our own experience tells us this. Throughout human history, the, the human race has been wandering and wondering. Wandering and wondering, wandering aimlessly and wondering if God would ever keep his promise. And as a result, humanity tried all kinds of things to fix the brokenness that we felt as humanity. And the two best things we could come up with were temple and empire. We came up with, okay, if I can just keep all of the religious things and be a good person and find favor with the gods, or I can take what I want through military force. And these are the best things that we could come up with. And they're both incredibly oppressive and perhaps God waited until this specific time to display to everyone that the religions of this world and the empires of this world had no capacity to actually bless this world. All they could do is rule it. But when Jesus came, the first Christmas marked the beginning of something new. The Apostle Paul, writing to a group of people in the first century, would write it like this. He says, that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. Take for yourself the basic spiritual principles of this world. Take for yourself, watch out for yourself, get what you can. If you've got to do it through religion, if you've got to do it through empire, whatever it takes, look out for yourself. And what Paul says is we actually became slaves to that way of living. But when the right time came, when the world was set, when everything was just the way God wanted it to be, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law, so that he could adopt us as his very own children. Paul, Paul would say this, there is no place so low that God will not descend to have a relationship with you. And we were slaves. This way of living that says, I've got to get for me and I've got to look out for myself and I don't care if it's religion or empire or any other means, I've just got to watch out for myself. Paul says, we were slaves to that. That way of living actually entraps you. It actually enslaves you. And so Paul would say this, when God said everything, when the world was set just the way God wanted it, 
God sent Jesus. And he purchased freedom. And now you're invited to be a part of his family. And you don't earn your way in. You don't behave your way in. You don't church attend your way in. You don't Christmas, you know, tree light your way in. Like you, all you do is you've been created by God. He loves you and he has invited you. And you put your trust in him and in his way of living. And when you do that, God has invited you to be a part of his family. The story of Christmas is the story of God keeping his promise. And it's a reminder to us, no matter where you find yourself, that just because God seems silent, it does not mean that he is absent. And you've been invited to be a part of God's family. And if you've never said yes to that invitation, I want to invite you to say yes by just agreeing with this prayer as we close. God, please forgive my sins. Please forgive me for the times that I know I've done things my own way and I realize it's caused brokenness between myself and you and myself and others. And so I pray, adopt me into your family. Make me your son. Make me your daughter. And help me to put my trust in you and to follow you as best as I know how from this moment on. And God, for every one of us, I pray that this season that we would be reminded that not only is Jesus the reason for the season, but we are the reason for the season. We are the reason that you came and that you can be trusted to keep your promises. And I pray in the midst of whatever seems like an incredibly difficult circumstance here on this earth, give us an eternal mindset where we remind ourselves that just because you seem silent, it doesn't mean you're absent and it doesn't mean you're still. May we be reminded that you continue to work behind the scenes because you created us and you love us So let us cling to hope and to faith. And as we do that, may our lives point others to you. We thank you. We pray this in your name. Amen.